So July 15th, 2005 was a momentous day for me and my family. It's the day that my mom got remarried. When my brother and I first were introduced to Pat, my now stepdad, he was really nice. He was really funny. Uh, seemed like a great guy for our mom. Uh, but there was one hesitation that my brother and I both had, and it was because that Pat made us do a lot of chores. So my mom and Pat, they went on to date for a few years, and I remember when they told us that they were officially going to get married, uh, my brother and I, we actually started screaming and running around the house. Right? We were not dreading the idea of Pat being our stepdad. In our minds, Pat being our stepdad meant chores for a lifetime. Right? That is what we are worried about. Uh, but in all seriousness, I knew that in 2005, when my parents got married, that it was going to be a huge gift for me. Right? Having a fatherly figure in my life um, for the first time in a really long time was going to be a huge gift, and I knew that to be true. Um, not only that, but I also I didn't think that Pat would be one of the most influential men in my life. Right? I didn't think that I, I didn't expect to gain this whole other half of a family of two stepsisters and brothers-in-law and two nieces. Like I, didn't, I didn't think about those things when I thought about the idea of Pat becoming my stepdad and marrying my mom. And what started off with a jokingly dreadful gift that was Pat in my life turned into so much more. Right? I think when we think about the life of a Christian and a relationship with God, we know that a relationship with God is a gift. Right? We know that to be true, uh, but of course we know that. We, we want to tell people about that. So we know that a relationship with God is a gift, but we never imagine all that actually comes with it. Right? I think everyone assumes that we become Christians because the gift that we get is eternal life in heaven, which is true. Obviously, that is a huge gift that is true of the Christian, but also we get a life of abundance now. Right. In this life, there is a life of abundance with God. Right. The text today just gives us a glimpse of the beauty of the Christian life. We're going to focus on one of those specific gifts that God gives us when we become Christians, and that is the family of God. All right, I'm going to go through the beginning of this text a little quickly so we can get to the specific gift of the church, but I want us to make sure that we understand the context before we dive into that. So let me read at the beginning of this again. This is verses 19 and then 21. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Right? So this text just starts off with the word therefore. So whenever we see a therefore in scripture, we ask, what is the therefore therefore? And the therefore in this context points back to verses 14 and 15 that says that we have been sanctified by God. So in verses, uh, verses 14 and 15, it says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. Right? And then we have therefore, since we have. Right, so that leads us to two things in verses 19 and 21. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So the very first of these, it says, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary. Right, what exactly does that mean? Right, up until Jesus came, the only way to have access to God was through the priest. So within the sanctuary, and there's going to be a picture right here, within the sanctuary on this left part, if you can read it, you have the Holy of Holies, um, that's right in there on the left, and that was known to be where the uh, presence of God dwelled. And then you have the holy place, was that little opening um, place that is a place that the, some of the priests would be able to, to go into, but only one high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God. Right? And then in Matthew 27, 51, 
We see that when Jesus died, the veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was torn in two. Right? This means that now the presence of God is open and available to not just one person that can go into that one place, but it is available to everyone. Right? So now we have full access to God. And the second part of this verse, it says, since we have a great high priest. Right? Remember I just said the great high priest is the one that can go into the Holy of Holies, but now our high priest is in Jesus. Right? And then what I love about this is and then in First Peter 2 with the, the text that Josh preached last week, it says, you yourselves are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. Right? This is so beautiful that the veil was torn into, Jesus becomes our high priest, we then become part of the priesthood of God, and so now we all have access to God. Right? That is a beautiful gift. Right? We can summarize these first few verses by saying, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we now have complete access to God and can approach him boldly. So we've been sanctified by Jesus and now have access to God. And now that we have full access to God, right after in the text we're given two clear commands for us to obey. It says to draw near and to hold on. All right, so the first one to draw near says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I think it is crazy that the very first step of obedience is to draw near, right? If you think about this in the context of what I just said, is that only one person was able to enter into the presence of God, and then the very first step of obedience when Jesus comes is actually, no, draw near to that presence now, right? The thing that you are really scared to draw near to, draw near to that exact presence. And they were scared by the presence of God because of what they thought of him, Right? They, they, they knew of um, Uzziah who, who died by just being, touching the ark and, and dying uh, from being in the presence of God. Right? So it says we're to draw near and to do that with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Right? It simply just means with full sincerity and trust in the one that you're drawing near to. Right? Like I just said, the people before Jesus thought of God as just this intense being that struck a lot of fear in them. So they approached the God approach God with trepidation. But now we don't have to do that, right? Like I just said, we have full access to God, right? We don't have to approach God with fear or with hesitancy or with doubt because his character doesn't call for that, right? His character does not call to approach God in that way. And I think a really good question for all of us is to ask, how, how does the way that you see God affect the way that you approach God, right? How do you view God and then how does that change how you approach him, Right? Maybe for some of us, you see God as this harsh ruler. Right? And so because of that, we don't want to draw near to God thinking he's just going to judge us. Right? We're not good enough to be in the presence of God because he's just this ruler that's going to judge me. Maybe we think of God as a great being that created the world and then left and doesn't do anything anymore. And so we come to him with hesitancy, thinking that he isn't really able to do anything in our lives. Or maybe you think of God as this huge God that has the same capacity as a human, but just slightly bigger because he's God. So he's got to have at least a little bit more than we do. And so you just think he's got a pretty high capacity. Um, And so you approach God with the attitude that he doesn't really care what happens in your life or he's not really going to answer because he's got enough going on. He doesn't want to be bothered by my stuff. Right? And all three of those things, all of these are not true. Right? That is not the character of God. A.W. Tozer, he has this quote. He said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It is immensely important how we think about God because it shapes everything in the Christian life. Right? We are to approach God with full sincerity, knowing he's a good God that cares deeply for us. 
right, the second part of this, uh, we have first, we're drawing near to God, knowing who we are drawing near to. And then we hold on to that confession of faith without wavering, right? It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The reason we could do this without wavering is only because of the one that we are holding on to, right? It says that we hold on to our confession because he who promised is faithful. And just as Josh shared last week, he has promised not to let go of you, right? So you can hold fast simply by the fact of God having a grip on you, right? He who promised is faithful. I want to read C.S. Lewis's response to what Tozer said about what we think about God being the most important thing about us, is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Right? Although I still hold that how we think of God, about God is extremely important because I know that it does affect the Christian life, um, I also do have to agree with C.S. Lewis that what is even more important than that is what God thinks of us, right? And praise God that he's a God that deeply loves us without condition. No matter what you have done, God still sees you, he hears you, he knows you, and he loves you. Practically speaking, when we look at the idea of holding on to our confessions, it's clinging to what is right, right? So we can continue to look more like him and draw near to him, right? Out of an abundance of love for God, we act in obedience to God, I think we get to this point in the Christian life that we, we begin to actually see that being obedient to God is that the most satisfying thing we could possibly do in this world, right? He has defined what is good. So by being obedient to what he says, we can be mostly satisfied. We can be fully satisfied in God, and all of that flows out of a deep love for God, right? That simply is the way we hold on to our confession and draw near to God is that we are obedient to him, right? What this does is it helps us to not worry about our grip slipping, Right, this is exactly what the writer is warning about here, that we want to be cautious of slowly believing in false teachings or incorrect doctrine. All right, so we have seen this kind of new state that when Jesus came, what is the new state of the Christian, right? That we now have full access to God, and now because of that, we're called to draw near to God, and we are called to hold on to our confession. Now, how do we do that? Right, how can we continue over an entire lifetime to consistently draw near to God and to hold on to our confession? In the last part of our text, we've got what I believe the answer to that question is. It's a clear call to be a faithful part of a church community. Right? It says, Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think if you look at the text, you can see... If you look at our full text of what we, we are talking about today, we see that drawing near to God and holding fast to God, that is the what we do as Christians. Right? That is what we do as Christians. And then if you look at that first part of being able to have full access to God, um, that is the why we're able to do the what. Right? We are able to draw near to God and hold fast to him because we have full access to God now. And I think this last part is how. To do that, right? How to hold fast to God. As one commentator put it, this is the means by which we're able to draw near and hold fast, and that is by church community, right? The center of this entire last text is the aspect of not neglecting to gather, right? How it's written implies that the way that we consider one another and the way that we encourage one another is to gather together as a community regularly, right? This is what we are doing right now, right? We're obeying scripture right now, and we are gathering with the community, and this is a beautiful thing. The creation of a weekly service, it didn't just come out of someone wanting to hear people listen to them talk, 
Right? That's not why the, the weekly service cre- was created. It came out of a genuine desire to help believers cling to the word of God. And it's a direct call that we each have to be sustained and to thrive as Christians. So, now we have to ask the question, right? How does simply going to church sustain us and help us thrive? The first thing I think we really need to get clear is that the Christian life, right, going to church, to fellowship with the body, and then the other six days of the week, practicing spiritual disciplines, things like that, those are not at all two separate things, right? We have to get that into our mind. That, I think, is so often talked about as two separate things of, okay, I leave my church and I go back to normal life. Right, but that's not, realistically, that's not the Christian life. Christian life would include, obviously, going to church. It's one of the disciplines that we are called to do. And by investing into our Christian life in reading the Bible and prayer and things like that, we grow a deep love for the church and a desire to be a part of a church community. Your work throughout the week is brought into the church gathering every single week. But also, by being a part of a good church community, we will grow a desire and love for the word of God, for prayer, and obeying Christ in our lives. Right, these things feed into each other and help our overarching love of God grow. So we should stop regarding them as separate things, but see that if we are wanting to draw near to God, hold fast our confession, we don't just pray and read our Bibles, although those are good things that we should all be doing, but we should also be a faithful member of a church community, not neglecting to gather with that community. Right, so with that in mind, how does the weekly gathering help us? All right, I want to put forth kind of three purposes for the weekly gathering. All right, the first one is to look up. Second one is to look in. And the last one is to look around. So this first one to look up. Every single week, our gathering should help you look up to God and be reminded of the gospel. I think this quote puts this vision really perfectly. Uh, It's from Nicholas Dawson. He says, We church to glorify God. We gather around God. Romans 12.1 commands us to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. This lifestyle propels communal witnessing, repenting, worshiping, and teaching. We gather because we are one body drawn together by God to be a people of God who live for God, and we testify to God's greatness. Right, we try to do this really intentionally with how we plan our services. Right, our flow of service from the very beginning of our service to so the call to worship and the songs, we have themes of adoration and confession and assurance into the passing of the peace and being able to talk with one another, the sermon, then having the high point of communion, being reminded what Jesus has done for us, and finishing with praise and a benediction, a message for the road. Every single one of these things, all the songs, all the prayers, all the readings of scripture, taking communion, having time to talk with one another, all of these things serve a purpose, to help us to walk through the gospel from beginning to end every single service, right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. From the beginning of service to the end of service, we should be rehearsing that gospel every single week so we can be reminded all that God has done for us. We shape our gatherings to cause you to look up, right? Throughout the entire week, it is so easy to not look up, right? It's so easy to be looking at the things of this world and to be caught up in all of them. Right, you could be coming into a service um, after a week of working in a really lucrative job, which is great. That's not a bad thing at all. But maybe that lucrative job is causing you to look at money as your security in life. Right, maybe you're coming to service and you are having family strives, a very hard week, a lot of tension in your relationships, in your marriage, things like that. And it's causing you enviously to look at other people's situations and wishing that you had those situations for you. Or maybe you're coming into service after a hectic week 
you just wish you could slow down, control everything, and have a grip on all of your life, but um, you're stressed all the time, so you can't do that. In all these situations, we need to look up and be reminded of a God who is our security above all things, right? We need to look to a God that is our satisfaction in this life, that is satisfying to us, and we need to look to a God who controls all things so we don't have to, right? Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's as simple as it gets, right? We want to be setting our mind on the things of God and not on the things of this world, but we get so caught up in the circumstances of our lives, right? So we come every week to gather so that we can look up, testify to God's greatness, and to praise him for it, and to be reminded of who we actually believe in, right? Remind, be reminded of the power that he has in our lives. The second purpose for the weekly gathering is because weekly we get a time to look in. Right, we get to ask God what David does in Psalm 139 when he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. All right, we come in, we have moments within our time together where we get to see our sin. I don't think we often see that as a grace of God, but it is. Right, we get, get to see the sin that we have committed in the lies that we believe, by seeing our sin, we learn how we can become more like Christ and are reminded of the grace that God has for us. All right, we will never understand the grace of God until we understand the weight of our sin against him. So this is a grace that we have been given by God. And every single week, we get to come in and we get to wrestle with our sin. And we also get to do this through, throughout our service. We get to do this in song and in prayer, times of lament and, and times of confession Right? This is why every single week we either have a song or written prayer or something that calls us specifically to deal with our sin and our grief. Right? This is a part of the Christian life. Right? We can't just shy away from hard things because we don't want to deal with them. Right? We have to bring them to the Lord and not act like we always have it together. Right? There is this book that I read a while ago. It's called Prophetic Lament by Sung Chan Ra. It's an incredible book. I would recommend it to anyone. And he has this quote that talks about lament in the American life. It says, lament constitutes 40% of all psalms, but only 13% of the Baptist and Church of Christ hymnal, and only 19% of the Presbyterian hymnal. CCLI, which is kind of just like the contemporary Christian music list, CCLI's list of the top 100 worship songs in August 2012 reveals that only five of the 100 songs will qualify as a lament. Right, the American church avoids the idea of lament in any way possible. Right, guys, and we do not want to be that kind of church. Right, we don't want to be the church that is constantly avoiding stepping into suffering and hardship and confession and sin. Right, we want to be a church that is able to step into that and have a good biblical vision of what it looks like to wrestle with the things of this world. Right, suffering is not something that is only happens to people outside the church, but we're all good. Right, that is not true. Right, it happens to every single one of us. Sometimes we walk in and we, we feel the weight of that. So to be able to have a time that we can come in and we can be able to spend some time listening and singing and crying out and have people pray for us, that is so helpful and so necessary for our lives as Christians. Right? Finally, we also get to be reminded of the gospel every single week that God sees our sin, but he also has paid for that sin fully. Right? Like I said before, our services were very intentional, and so after our time of confession, um, we always will have a time of assurance. Right, Jake just talked about this when he was talking about the, um, one of the songs that we were singing. Right? This is a reminder that, yes, we do sin, 
But we don't just stop there, right? We're reminded that there is a God out there that has paid fully for our sin with the blood of Christ, right? Again, we, we have to wrestle with the costliness of sin to better understand the grace that has been given to us. All right, so the three, three purposes we have. The first one is to look up at God. The second purpose for church is to look in and see the sin that we deal with. And then the last one is to look around, right? Every single week we get to walk in we get to look around to people we have in our community, in our church. We get to love on them. We get to pray for them, carry each other's burdens, encourage them, confess to them, serve them, remind them of the gospel. This is one of the most beautiful things to me, to be able to step into a church and know that there's people around me that love me, that care for me, that want to encourage me. And so I can't overstate the beauty and importance of this. Right, I think we all know that everyone in the world sees the need for community. They see this idea of loneliness. It's been talk, being talked about more and more and more. And they're trying to come up with all these solutions, but no one's talking about the church. Right? We're not allowed to talk about that in the news, so we're not going to give church as an actual answer. But it really is the answer to the idea of loneliness. Right? The CDC actually just came out and released a statement that loneliness is now an epidemic. They came out with some statistics. Social isolation causes a 50% higher risk for dementia, 29% rise in heart disease, 32% rise in the possibility of a stroke, and among heart failure patients, four times increased likeliness of risk of death. Right? All of these things just because of loneliness. Right? Again, culture is coming up with all these different solutions. Um, Hillary Clinton just released an essay in The Atlantic talking about her solutions for loneliness and um, she goes and talks about all of these things that are happening, but we're not stepping into, but she never highlights the church, right? Again, the church is the purpose, it, the church is the answer to this question of loneliness, right? We, I think oftentimes when we think about the idea of church, we think of praising God, we think of being confronted with sin, I think we think of those things pretty immediately, but I think we forget all the time and miss that aspect about looking around and be able to be one body as a community, right? It's easy to come into church, listen to some music, listen to some teaching, and walk away. It's really, really easy for us to do. But when we do that, I really, I really strongly believe that we will not be changed by just doing those things. But I think if we step in and we understand that we are part of a community, we are part of a body that actually can encourage us, can speak gospel truth into our lives, that is we can be, when we can be changed to be in the image of Christ. Right, again, we also get the sense of belonging in our music, right? Uh, when we were singing earlier today, we were singing His Mercy is More. It was the last song in the set, right? That, that song talks about our sin in our lives, but also talks about the mercy of God being greater than that. And I think when we sing the, the promises of God, obviously that is really, really helpful for us. But I think what's more beautiful is being in a room where other people are singing the promises of God over us. Right? I think we've all been in a scenario where we need to hear and to be sung over the promises of God for them to actually feel true. Right? We need people to sing that over us for them to actually be true. Right? We have to get into our heads that showing up for church is just not for our benefit, but actually the others at church will also be lacking without you showing up. Right? It's both and. It's, it's both our benefit and those around us. And so we need to come in and be able to step into that. Right? There's going to be times when you walk in, you are desperately, desperately going to need some encouragement. You're going to need some encouragement, someone to talk to you, someone to pray for you, be able to step into that. There's also going to be other times when you're doing great. 
right? You walk in, you have an awesome week, you are you have a ton of energy, and you need to be able to step in to be able to encourage those that aren't feeling that way, right? This is why we have passages of scripture that talk about these one another's, right? This this idea of being one body, and I'm going to run through a lot of them real quick. First Corinthians fourteen sixteen. Whenever we come together, each one is a hymn, a teaching, a word. Everything is to be done for the building up of the church. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. First Peter four nine and ten. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If we're doing these things, this verse makes so much more sense. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Right? That, that verse makes so much more sense when we're actually stepping in and being the church with one another. And finally, I love um, this picture in Ephesians 4.16 that I think all of this kind of sums up um, in this last verse. It says, From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I think only when we are doing all of this, only when we individually are stepping in and being a part of the church are we going to be able to be able to grow and in the body building itself up in love right we come into church not so that we can check a box but because it's an absolutely essential aspect of the christian life the summer before my senior year uh, of college i did this summer project and at the end of this summer project the staff members will come and they'll meet with you one-on-one and they encourage you and they also share some areas of growth right they spend an entire summer discipling you pouring into you and so at the end of the summer they always uh, meet up with you and kind of share these things so that you have a way that you can grow as you're walking out of the summer project and i remember mine very vividly because it has changed a lot of my life um the staff member that met with me his name is justin an amazing guy um, and he encouraged me, and then he told me two areas of growth. He said, first, you don't really have a theology. That was hard to hear. He said, you don't know exactly what you believe about the things in the Bible outside of the gospel. And I'm glad he mentioned that I believe the gospel, so that was good. The second thing is, he said, you have to become a member of the local church. Uh, because you are checking a box right now at any church that's open around you. You know when someone rebukes you so thoroughly and accurately... <laughs> where you're kind of at a loss of words, and that is exactly how I felt in that moment. Right? I knew that every single thing that he said was true, right? that I was using the church just as a place to go, thinking that it was just this box that I needed to be checked. But what he said was true. So I went back my senior year in college, I joined a church body, and I fell in love with the church. Right? I never wanted to work for a church. I'm just going to be honest. That was never in my plans. That was not a, a goal of mine at all in my life. Um, but Justin saying that to me made me step into the life of a church my senior year and then after that working for a church. And I have just fell in love with the church. Right? Again, we, we come to church not to check a box. It's not about doing the right things Right, but because it's the it's an absolutely essential aspect of the Christian life, I really believe is the only way we can sustain and thrive as a Christian. All right, we get to have time where we are regularly looking up to God and giving Him praise that He deserves, while learning more about Him. We also get to look in, we get to see the lies that we believe, and we get to apply gospel truth to those lives. We also get to look around at the family that God has given us to serve them humbly for their benefit and receive from them for ours. 
All right, so to finish up, I want to ask three things of you. All right, the very first one, very simple, and the first one is to show up. Right? If you don't show up, everything I said is absolutely useless. So that's the first one is, is show up. Right? We, we need you to be here right? because without you, we are missing out on being developed to look more like Christ and just as you are. Right? Not for the sake of just having more people in our services or things like that, um, but we really believe that it is for your benefit and for ours that you guys are here, that we are not neglecting to gather with the community because when you're there, you get to pour into one another, you get to love one another, pray for one another, and really be the church. Right? In Hebrews, in the, in, in the text that we're saying, just the idea that he, he's saying don't neglect to gather shows that already in Hebrews they were neglecting to gather. Right, this isn't a new issue, right? I think we, we just blame it on like, oh, we're just so much more busy, right? We just have so much more going on, you know, with technology and schedules and job, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think we make a lot of excuses, and, but I think this is something that has always been true. And so it's a human problem, right? It's not a culture problem, it's a human problem that we, we don't want to do the hard work to step into a church community, right? It's not easy, it's not easy to come in every single week being expected to encourage someone, be expected for someone to be able to encourage you and to call you out and be held accountable, right? These are hard things to do. So I don't think this is just something that's new for our age. It's, it's a human problem. That's, it's just a difficult thing to do. All right, so I want to first call you all to show up. Second thing is I want you to come in ready, all right? We need to all come in expecting to go know God more, expecting God to move, Right, because of the service, and to wrestle with sin, to have our eyes open to how we can serve and bless someone else in this room. Right, we should be thinking beforehand who are the people that we can encourage. Right, how can we participate in service before we ever come in? Right, so come in ready. Like, come in having already prayed for service and praying that God would use you, praying that God would speak to you. Right, we, I want you to come in ready. And the last one is I want you to participate while you're here. Right? Like I said, think beforehand, who can you encourage? And then do it. Right? Come in and find that person and say, hey, I was thinking about you earlier. Just want to encourage you. Like, are you doing all right? Like, is there anything I can pray for? Anything going on in your life that you, you just need to talk through? And if not, that's okay. Right? But I think coming in, expecting God to move, I think that is how we are going to be built up to, to love, just like Ephesians 4.16 said. Right? Maybe ask the person that you're volunteering with, how, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, what's going on? Right? What, do you, what have you been reading in the Word lately? What's been encouraging? Right, we should always be coming in expecting God to be able to use other people in our lives. Right? During worship, sing out loud. <laughs> right? Like I said, the, some, one of the most beautiful aspects of Christian worship, being in a church body and having a time of worship, is that we get to hear the promises of God be sung over us while we also get to sing it over gladly over the rest of the church. Right? So come in and sing out loud and participate. All right, all of this, again, all of this is so that we can draw near to God and hold on to confession of our hope. It's the only way that we're going to be able to faithfully do these things. All right, it's why this passage, is, passage it finishes with this small hint of warning. It says, And all the more as you see the day approaching. Right, the day being the day of judgment. Then, right after our text that we just walked through, um, right after that, for the rest of that chapter, it has this constant warning about disobeying God and forgetting the truth that God has taught us. Right, the writer of Hebrews is using all of these warnings and calls to cling to God and the truth of his word to surround the statement of the best way to do this. 
It's to not neglect to gather, right? That is the way that we're going to be sustained and to thrive as believers. So I want to finish by going back to our text and remind us of why all of this is true. Right, we skipped over verse 20 as I was going through the text, so I want to go back and return to that verse. It says, Through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Everything that I have talked about today, from our ability to boldly approach God, to the joy of drawing near to God through the church, all of that is because of Jesus. Right, when Jesus came, he brought a new and living way through his flesh, that is, through his death and his resurrection. Right, God sent his son down to live perfectly, to fulfill the law, and then to die the death that we deserved, so that we could have full access to God. Right, so that we can finally draw near to God and have an actual relationship with him. So that we can hold fast to the truth of God's word by gathering with the family of God and serving and loving one another. Right, the grace of God is bountiful and is just waiting is waiting for you to receive that freely. This is a beautiful promise that God gives us in his word. Becoming a Christian and believing in Jesus, it is a huge, huge gift. And what makes it even better is that every single week, we get to come in, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate with our entire family the gift that God has given to us. So, church, would we receive this? Would we step into what it truly means to be a family of God? Let's pray.